Father, I thank you so much that you are the God of angel armies, and you always do stand beside, a, beside us, Lord, and um, this morning as we, we go into your word, I pray that you would capture our hearts and our imaginations and, and, and our spirits, Lord, that, that you would change our lives and, and the way we view life and the way we live life, Lord, through your word. I pray, Father, that, that you will help us to, in areas in our lives where, Lord, we're, we're experiencing darkness and struggle, that, Lord, you would give us light and answers. Lord, I pray this morning that, that where our spirits and our souls are stubborn, Lord, you would break us down and you would bring us into your household as humble, loving, obedient children. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I've got a bunch of illustrations, and it's funny. I'm, I mean, I have moved them around in this sermon about 15 times, right up till about two minutes ago. <laughs> so, so bear with me. I, these are things that I just think are so important, but I'm, I'm, they're, um, how they're going to fit, I think that's up to the Holy Spirit this morning. You know, I was listening to the radio the other day, and there was a guy being interviewed. He was a football player. He had been recruited to to a college, and uh, when he was talking about the recruiting process, and he said that all the schools that recruited him, except for three, offered him money. And his dad, in his wisdom, said, you're going to pick between these three, because if the school's going to cheat to get you there, it means they're going to cheat to keep you there. And he didn't want his son wrapped up in all the things that would come down when, when they got caught for cheating. And I got to thinking about that. You know, we often forget, we, we come to the Lord in salvation and he brings us in a certain way and through a certain door and with a certain heart and a certain attitude and then we start walking with the Lord and we start serving the Lord and we start doing things and somehow we forget what got us here. And the thing is, is what got us here is the same thing that should keep us here. We should grow in it, it should mature, we should understand it better, but in reality, the same things that brought us into salvation should be the way that we walk in salvation. And it's so easy to forget. And the enemy loves to throw, you, throw breadcrumbs out for you and, and, and just lead you, you know, rarely, I, I rarely, rarely see anyone who falls away from the Lord in an instant. It's almost always little breadcrumbs that leave you a little this way and a little this way and a little this way. Sometimes it's because somebody disappoints you. Sometimes it's because you, you meet somebody else and they, they're not on the same page with you and you get drawn away. Sometimes life gets so busy. Sometimes you create these monsters yourself. You start, trying, you start taking control back from God and you decide that he needs your help instead of the other way around. And the next thing you know, you're, you're at a place and you keep asking yourself, how in the world did I get here? And that's what I've loved about preaching through this series because Jesus is, is, has come at the gospel from every angle. And it's been such, for me personally, it's been such a reminder of how I'm supposed to be walking. 
The same way I receive the kingdom is the same way that I should live in the kingdom. You know, and so we had the persistent widow. And that, you know, in the end statement that Jesus said, will I find, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? The persistent widow was about that persistent faith. When I don't see the right answer, when I don't feel like I like what's coming, when I, when I struggle with those things, it's that persistent faith. We saying that God is good. Do you believe it? And I'm not talking about in worship when we're saying, you know, catchy little things like God is good. And, and you respond all the time. All the time, God is good, right? That's, that's a good reminder. But I'm talking about when it's hard. When things aren't making sense. When God is asking you to do things that you don't want to do. And he's pulling out things in your life that you don't want to deal with. And he's asking you to give up things that you really like. That persistent faith that says, I can trust you. That persistent faith that says, I'm going to keep walking with you and talking with you and asking you. And then there was the tax collector who sat and he beat his chest and he said, the only reason I can have justification is by your mercy. There's nothing in me. I am a sinner. The second you lose contact with the fact that you're a sinner, you can go ahead and just put it on your list. I am a hypocrite. You can put on there on your list because it's going to happen. I am judgmental. The second you lose contact with your own sin, well, you can just put it on your list because it's going to happen. It's going to, be, it's going to be there. It's going to be, I am self-righteous. You keep walking in humility. Remember, Jesus bore the shame, the guilt, all of that on the cross. You don't have to walk in the shame of your sin. You don't have to walk in the guilt of your sin. You don't have to walk in the punishment of your sin, but what you do is you remember your sin so you remember the greatness and the love of God. You do it for His glory and for His honor and to remind yourself who it is that you belong to and what He has done for you. And that should humble you. You should be walking in humility. How can you forgive your brother or your sister when you've been wronged? Because you know how much you've been forgiven. And when you lose sight of that, your ability to forgive goes out the window. Because now you're, you're wronged, you are being treated unfair, and, and you deserve, and you deserve, and you deserve. What you deserve is hell, just like me. That's what we deserve. What we've been given is forgiveness and grace and mercy. So why not give a little of what you've, been got, what you've gotten? Usually it's because you forgot that you have it. It's not that you're selfish. She forgot that you have it. Because you forgot that you needed it. And then he took us through being like a child. 
You know, coming to the table, recognizing you have nothing to offer except your need. It's all you have when you come. You have nothing to offer. That protects you. That protects you from thinking that you're going to fix things that God should be fixing. That protects you from trying to, trying to do things that they're, they're God's things to do. When you, rec- when you recognize and remember, I came with nothing. Remember Job? I came into this world naked. I'll, naked I'll return. God gives and God takes away. It helps you to walk in a soft, gentle, innocent humility. Today we're going to talk about another avenue in. When you come in and you receive the kingdom, one of the things you have to do is you have to throw away all your idols. You have to throw away all your idols. And your idols are sneaky. You, you don't think you have any idols, I promise you. I promise you, you do. And we're going to talk about that today. By the time we're done, you're, you're, going, to, you're going to have worked through in your own heart, and your own mind, these are where my idols are. And in walking in my faith and walking in this kingdom, I need to set those aside and to get you started thinking, here's what it is. Your idol is that thing you're putting hope in. That idol is that thing he says, you know, if I only had, if only, what I hope to convince you is that you can put down that idol because the if only I had is, is one thing and one thing only, Jesus. Jesus. You have Jesus, and that's all you need. You know, I have a friend, actually more than a friend, a mentor um, who called me into, into ministry. He was the one who gave me my first opportunity. He's the one who gave me the freedom to do things a little weird and a little different, um, to learn. You know, the lab that I worked in that became Heritage, basically, um, because I got to try some things you know, and Matt, at the same time, it's funny, we, we laugh because at the same time, he was doing the same thing. And God was taking him through the same thing. We both were going very unconventional paths to come together back here. But, but Sonny, what a man of, of faith. And it took, this was a good time of reflection for me on this to just realize just how amazing his faith was. Here's a guy that, Graduated from the Citadel, Michael. Um, Was a banker, uh, vice president of the bank. Then he became a hospital administrator. He was a head administrator, making a lot of money. And absolutely unsaved. The Lord saved him, called him into ministry, and he went from all that to going to seminary in North Carolina in days wondering what are we going to eat? And coming home from church and seeing ba- bags of groceries sitting on the, foot, on the front porch, they still have no idea where they came from. Yeah? And he would say that. This is the man who God kept calling to these little country churches and, and 
for the purpose of growing them and 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 God he would grow them and he'd get them right where he he liked them and then God would move them someplace else to do the same thing all over again. Then there came the day that he was diagnosed with stage 4 bladder cancer. And they had to remove his bladder and and they made did this experimental bladder implant and during that time, you guys have heard me talk about the stories about having to preach on like five minutes notice. And well, that's because he was recovering from chemotherapy and, and having his bladder replaced and cancer. And, and yet, in the midst of all of that, one of the most memorable sermons that I have ever heard got preached when he talked about the grace ambulances in his life. And he talked about the encouragement of the church and how the church in those moments when he's in the he's sitting in his living room having chemo which is poison in his blood having the lights off because he just can't stand he's in such pain and he can't stand even to have light in the room and the cards and the letters and the phone calls and the texts from his flock carried him they were grace ambulances he became president of the South Carolina Baptist Convention which is a year thing and right in the middle of that okay, and it was a really tumultuous year is when we were fighting over money which you know if you know when Baptists fight over money it gets, it gets nasty and he had to lead that and right in the middle of it he gets a phone call his son has been shot to death downtown Charleston. His son, who was a vice president of the Aflac Corporation, but who had a drug problem that caused him to lose his marriage and caused him to move back in with his parents because he was trying to figure it out, and he got, went downtown at 2 in the morning to buy drugs, and he got shot and killed. How do you walk through that? And then his wife gets cancer. How do you walk through that? You walk through that when Jesus is your only support. You don't walk through that being held and carried by idols. You walk through that because God is big enough and strong enough to carry you through it. And nothing else is. And that's a lesson that our, our protagonist today, the, this rich young ruler that we're going to talk about, that's, that's a lesson that he needed to learn. So today we're going to talk about the fact that you don't come to the kingdom except that you set aside your idols my encouragement this morning is that you'd learn how to walk, not picking them back up again once you get inside. You know, sometimes as believers, we're like, it's like we're going through a metal detector, right? You take all the stuff out of your pockets and you put them in the little basket and, you know, and it goes around the outside. You walk through the metal detector. You're clean. I'm good. Give me all that stuff back. Isn't that right? We do that all the time. Let's see if we can't figure out how not to do that. 
Stand with me if you would, and let's read, let's read from God's Word. Turning to, to Luke chapter 18. Starting in verse 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life or receive the kingdom? Very similar words. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely wealthy. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to, to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You may be seated. Now let's set, set the stage here. This is not a parable. This is an actual encounter. So this is a little different than some of the other stories that Jesus was telling to take us in. So this is a real person. And as a ruler, it means he's likely of one of two groups. He's either a Sadducee or a Pharisee. What's in, what you got to always remember, the difference between those two is this. The biggest one, the thing you see it being dealt with in Scripture all the time. The Sadducees believed that there was no resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees believed that there was a resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees basically lived in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That's all they gave credence to. The Pharisees took all of the, the Jewish Old Testament, and they, they taught all of that. And so that's the two camps. That's the two guys that are, that are fighting. We do not know which one of this guy is, but he's probably one of the two. And he's going to be either a leader of a synagogue, or he's going to be a part of what's called the Sanhedrin. Because they're outside of Jerusalem right now, there's a really good chance he's a synagogue leader. But that's irrelevant. He's, he's in charge of stuff. He's a religious leader. At the very least, a, an administrator in one of those places. And he comes to, and he comes to the Lord and, and he says, what must I do to, to receive eternal life? But in there, as he does it, he says this thing, good teacher. Now, some key words there. By calling him teacher, what he, what he proves is he's not a disciple of Jesus Christ. He, he knows him, he's coming, but he's not a disciple. Because if the disciples were to refer to him, he'd say, they'd say, good master. Or they would call him Lord, but they would not call him just teacher. So here's a guy, and... and Mark will tell you Jesus' response when Jesus see, see, hears his question and sees him. Mark says, and Jesus loved him. So let's put him in the right light here. 
Jesus is not looking at this man going, you know, we've seen him roast the Pharisees up to this point, right? This is not what Jesus is doing with this guy. Okay, Jesus loves this guy. And when he gives him, he listens to the answers, he's gentle. And he begins with this. The man very, he basically, he flippantly uses the word good. Good teacher. Hey, my good man, basically is what he just did. Hey, my good man, I got a question for you. Oh, yeah. Sounds a little different when you put it in modern terms, doesn't it? Now, it wasn't uncommon for them to address someone as good, but primarily in the Jewish culture, they had a, they basically, they said no one is good except God. What Jesus says back to him is exactly what was said in Jewish culture. Some people will read this and say that Jesus was declaring to the man that he was God. That's stretching the passage a little more than, than, it, than it supports. What Jesus was definitely doing, though, was, using, was challenging his low use of the word good, that he was using it somewhat flippantly in this, which is kind of important because of what Jesus, the path Jesus is going to take him down. What you see is Jesus saying, your bar is a little too low. Your bar is a little too low. And so, you know, yeah, it's easy for us to read back in. You know, like Romans, Romans 3, 10 says there's none righteous, not, not one. But see, that's Paul's theology. That's something that's written afterwards um, to, to bring that back here and say this is what Jesus is doing. Now, Jesus is just looking at the man and going, okay, God is good. That's the standard. And he, he follows on and he says, when he, Jesus' answer to him says, you know the commandments. And the word used for commandments there is it's used for military orders or the order of a king. Okay, now coming from a military background, I will tell you this, there is, there, there is in the code of military justice, there is this thing called disobeying a lawful order. And it is probably got the most severe penalty that you can get short of treason. Now disobeying an order of the president would be considered treason. Right? So no matter how you say it, you know, when he uses it, you know the commandments. What it's saying is you know what you're supposed, what you have to do. This is not just a list of things to do. It is what you have to do. These are orders. And he uses, previously when he was asked this question, he used the first part of the Pentateuch, or, the, or rather the, the Decalogue, the, the love the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That was the, you know, he used the first part. Now he's coming in and he's saying, okay, but now it's the love your neighbor as yourself. It's the what? Don't steal, don't murder. How, how do you treat your neighbor? These things. Honor your father and mother. Don't bear false witness. And the man says... Well, I've done all of those things since my youth. Set low bar. Set low bar. I've done, I've done all these things since my youth. Now, at this point, Jesus has a chance. He could say, oh, really? You have? Let's examine your life. 
Okay? How many of you guys would want to have this conversation? Matt's got the one that's got the prophetic spirit, so he sees through things. How many of you guys would want to sit down with Matt and go, you know, actually, I, I'm, I'm without sin in that area? <laughs> right? How many of you guys would want to sit down with me and go, hey, I'm without sin in this area? And they go, oh, really? Shall we examine? This guy was doing it with God. He just did that with God. Oh, yeah, no, I, I've done all those things. I've never, never dishonored my mom and dad. I've never lied. I've never spoken falsely about somebody. I, I've never looked at a woman, you know, and thought the wrong thought in my mind, uh, thus committing adultery. I've never called someone a fool. And, you know, remember, Jesus' standard is, you know, if you call your brother a fool, you have, what, murdered him. Right? You've killed him. In your heart, you've killed him. Basically, Jesus said, hey, what you do in your heart is sin. It's not just what you do outwardly. Be honest. How many times have you thought sinful thoughts, dwelt on them, dreamed up a plan to implement them in your mind, but because they never came to fruition, you said, I didn't sin? That's, that's not what Jesus said. <laughs> it's a sin. Remember, Jesus, sin is between you and God. God sees your heart. He sees your thoughts. When it happens in here, and it's between you and God, it happened. Do you get that? Remember the tax collector? I need your mercy. That's what that should remind you of. This whole idea of I'm more good than I am bad, therefore I'm okay. What a ridiculous thought. Your neighbor is good to you most of the time, but every once in a while he spray paints your car. It's all good, right? Because he's better. He's good most of the time. Oh, it's not. But isn't that the way we think about ourselves? Every sin is worthy of punishment. Every sin brings death apart from Christ. In the Navy, whenever I'd have a guy that was like this that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't ad ad admit that he had a problem or a struggle, I had this thing, I, I had a motto. I said, well, I'm just going to keep push pushing buttons till I find the one that works. It's kind of what Jesus does here. He instead of going in and, and, and basically calling the guy out, what he does is he just brushes past his, he neither, he neither praises his keeping of the commandments, nor approves of his statement that he keeps them. He just brushes by it and says, well, we'll go to the next button. Because obviously he's not seeing things. And so as he goes to the next button, he says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, okay, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. 
Now, there's a, there's a passage earlier in Luke where Jesus is talking about our treatment of the poor. And he's saying, and in that, there's this little verse that jumps in that seems out of place until you understand there's a Jewish colloquialism that goes with it. And where he says that if, you're, you know, if your eye is unhealthy or dark, your whole body is dark. But if your eye is healthy, then your body is full of light. And it comes from a saying in Jewish culture that says to have a good eye. To, to have a good eye means that you look at the poor with generosity. That you look to the poor with generosity. And if you're greedy and selfish and unwilling to help the poor, you have what's called a bad eye. And what Jesus said in that moment was, you know what, if you have a bad eye, your whole soul is dark. If you have a good eye, your whole soul is full, is full of light. And it's ironic because what it, basically what he was saying there is how you handle your money and see your money and how you handle your wealth is a direct reflection of where you are in salvation. It's not saying that it brings you salvation. We don't have to go sell everything we've got and give it to the poor to get saved. What it's saying is that if, you're, if you are full of light and God asks you, that you would do it. Sometimes God doesn't, doesn't ask you to sell everything you've got because he's gonna, he's gonna, you're going to be supporting people and being generous your entire life. And he wants you to keep being able to make money so you can give money away. But sometimes, sometimes I've, I have seen guys on the mission field that had businesses and companies and making lots of money. And God said, go. And they sold everything and went and lived as missionaries. I know other guys who have lived and made their money and handled their money, but they blessed the poor continually. Continually. Neither is right, neither, or neither is wrong for what they did. But they handled their money with a good eye. This rich young ruler, Jesus just said, you know, it's like, you've said all these things, but I'm going to show you something. You don't have a good eye. You are selfish and you're greedy. And ultimately, here's what it was. He had an idol. There was something in his life that he put hope in other than God. And that's what Jesus was showing him. You pretend to follow the second half and you love your neighbor as yourself, but I'm going to bring you back to this. You don't love God. You love your money. Elsewhere, Jesus says you can't serve two masters, right? Because you'll either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. So you cannot serve God and mammon or God and money at the same time. This ruler had an idol and a crutch. And he relied on that for his security. He relied on that for his power. You know, Margie on our vacation stepped in a hole and we thought she broke her foot because she was in, this is a woman who's tough. She doesn't, she does not 
give in to pain. And she almost gave in to pain the night before we left to go to the hot, to, so we'd go to sit in the ER at two in the morning in San Diego. That's how bad it was. She's on the airplane and she's getting on, and, and okay, we get on, get on the airplane and we're getting off the airplane and it was kind of, watching her get on and off the airplane was, sorry, sweetie, it was a little humorous. <laughs> um, she would have to reach, reach up she started out on the seat backs, but they kept moving. So she reached down and she was grabbing the, the arms of the chairs and she would swing herself forward. And then she'd grab the next one and she'd swing herself forward. And she could have gone all the way from the, her seat on the airplane to the car that way. But when she got to the front of the airplane, they had a wheelchair for her. And they put her in the wheelchair and she got to sit and, and ride and observe and watch. And the dude who was walking with her, Michael and I were trying to keep up, okay? And we could not keep up with this guy. I got on the moving sidewalk and thought, you know, with clear path. And I thought, man, I got it now. And I start trucking down the moving sidewalk. I came out right beside him. <laughs> That's kind of what it's like for us with idols, we take our idols and we think, this is going to satisfy me. This is going to take care of me. This is, this is where I'm going to get my power. And we limp through life, putting one hand up on our idol and pulling ourselves forward. And, or what's even worse, we stand there going, I, I, I need my idol and I'm frozen. And I, you know, there is no armchair right now. You know, so the people who play the lottery go, if I just had the money in the lottery, those who sell real estate who think, if I just had money in real estate, right? If I just had these things, then I could walk. God is sitting there with a chair going, get in. I got you. This is going to be fun. But we're so convinced that we're going to solve this with our idols that we stop walking with God. Look, in our idols, they can be money. Many times it's money. But you know what? People are idols too. When you think that your kids or your wife or your husband or your girlfriend or your, your, your wife that you don't have, uh, when, you th when, you, when you start thinking that these people are the things that exactly what you need to get where you need to go and that those are the power through which you're going to go through life, good luck. You know, it's what's sad is that oftentimes we miss so many blessings that God has for us because we're chasing our idols. You know, if you think that you have to have money to go into ministry, you miss the miracle of the groceries on your front porch when you were almost starving to death. You know, when you start putting your hope in a person, what winds up happening is that most of the time you crush that person. Because, you know, I don't... If Margie's hope was, was in me and not the Lord, if her hope was in me and not the Lord, what a miserable life. The disappointments, the failures, the times that... I mean, what a miserable life. And what happens when our idols fail us? 
We throw them against the wall and we break them. Isn't that right? We have one Savior. It's Jesus Christ. Put away your idols. Money isn't going to solve your issues. People aren't going to solve your issues. Jesus Christ in your life is what's going to help. Because what did we go, what, what did we talk about? When you're walking in the kingdom, you're in touch with your sin so you can forgive. And there's grace and there's mercy. And you are a light and a blessing to others. When you're humble like a child and realize you have nothing to offer, you stop competing with everybody and instead you walk with them and you're a family and you lift them up and you encourage them and you value them because they're more important than you are just as Philippians 2 says. When you're walking in the kingdom, even when things are hard and difficult, you pray and you seek and you have faith and it allows you to persevere and be persistent. Even when you've got daughters and sons who aren't walking with the Lord, even when you have people in your life that are disappointing you, even when you have brothers and sisters who are addicted to drugs and won't come in from the cold, you don't give up. Not because you have strength, but the one pushing your wheelchair does. Walking in the kingdom is the answer. Not your jobs. Not money. Not people. He is. And when we walk in the kingdom, we are blessed. That's what the, the disciples are looking at this, and they're going, when Jesus says, you know, and look, the eye of the camel or the eye of the needle camel thing, some people make it at some gate and this. No, no. The word for needle there is used everywhere in the Greek for a sewing needle. Okay? It's a camel looking through the eye of a, of a sewing needle going, you want me to do what? It's impossible with us. We can't do it. You can't come to God except God call you. But he can call anyone. And the disciples, you got to hear what they were saying. Those who had money and position were considered blessed by God. That's the way they saw it. And so when Jesus said, that person can't come to the, into the kingdom except like a camel going through the eye of a needle, they were like, they were desperate. Who can be saved then? And it's easy to miss this and make it all about the rich. It's not talking about just the rich. It's talking about all of us. God can bring a rich man into the, into the kingdom. He can bring you into the kingdom. Nothing is impossible with him. With God, all things are possible. And that means you can put down your idols 
but it's because of him. He's the one who will let you do it. Just trust. Really, don't try harder. Don't work harder at it. Give up harder. Surrender. Don't do it because you have to. Do it because you can't do anything else. Jesus promises, he says, and Peter said, see, we have left home and followed you. You know, when somebody followed a rabbi, there was a great deal of sacrifice. You left your job, you left your home, and you lived with the rabbi. You didn't, you didn't leave your family, you didn't divorce your wife and leave your kids, but they, they're without you for a while. Your job is without you for a while. And that's where these guys were. They're like, look, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, I say to you, there is no one, Jesus even ups the ante, he says, who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Are you going to hold on to your life and your idols so hard that you lose your life in eternity? Or are you going to listen to Jesus' words and go, those, those who would lose their life will what? Gain it. You know, I, I, I've heard it said this way, why would you hold on to something that you can't keep to, and give up something that you can't lose? The promise is that you'll have blessings. But here's the thing. You have to put down your idols. You've got to stop putting your hope in things other than Jesus Christ. You know, the thing is, is Jesus doesn't take your family away from you. It's just when you decide to say, you're, my family isn't my idol, he then hands them back to you and says, I'm going to help you love them. Now that you understand they're mine and they're not yours, I'm going to help you love them and be with them in a way that you never thought possible. Isn't that right, Gentry? I'm saying that because he's rocking the dad clothes today. And I love it. With my whole heart, I love it. You know, I've watched over and over and over again with you guys I've watched you submit to the Lord and I've watched you put away your idols and I've watched you love each other and I've watched you reach out to your families, your impossible, broken, messed up families. And I've watched God do miracle after miracle after miracle. Huh, Pam? Isn't that right, Mariah? Isn't that right, Kyle? Why would we pick up our idols?
why would we do that? Because if you don't, let me share with you what it can look like. So when Sonny was in cancer, he saw the end of ministry, and you know what he did? He poured into me. He started teaching me to be a pastor, and he started teaching me to preach, and he started, right? When Sonny was going through cancer, he learned to pray at a whole new level. And God gave him messages that he had never had before. When Sonny's son was shot, there was a newspaper guy who was a believer who somehow got in his house and he took Sonny aside and said, please let me tell the story. He said, look, they're going to... People are going to hound you till they hear the story. If you let me tell the story, I will tell it in a way that honors God and we will, and we will, we will get the story out. And the guy became his friend and they told the story and they walked through it. And instead of, instead of people going, oh look, the president of the South Carolina Baptist Convention, his son got killed in a, in a, in a drug deal. Isn't he hell hiding and mighty? Instead what they saw was a message of grace and the power of the Lord in tragedy. Because he was in touch with his own sin and, his, and the kingdom, when it came time for the trial for the man who killed his son, you know where he sat? Where he and his wife sat? Right next to that man's mother. And the judge looked out and said, is this going to be okay? Because all three of them knew the Lord, and they were walking in the Lord in faith, and they both realized they both lost sons that day. They looked at him and they said, Yeah. And they hugged each other, and they wept together, and they supported either, each other because that's the kingdom. That's grace and mercy and compassion and action. That's walking without idols. That's what it looks like to be a great person of faith. And to not put your hope in things other than God. How many of us have tragedies we're walking through, have walked through, that our idols keep failing us over and over and over again? And our tragedies and our struggles don't compare to what Sonny went through. Is God's arms too short? question is, if he reveals to you today an idol that you have in your life, and they can be all over the place, they can be all over the place, and sometimes they can move. You know, it's funny, I, for me, as a teenager, you know the thing, that little breadcrumbs that led me away? It was going and gaming with my friends. It was the little breadcrumbs. The next thing I know, I was, I was out of church and cold. Was the gaming bad? Not necessarily. Were my friends bad? 
No. The problem was it turned into an idol. Another period in my life, the trauma and things going on at work, how important my job became to me. That became where I got my fulfillment. Breadcrumbs that led me away from church, led me away from fellowship, led me away from, right? Your idols can be so subtle, and they can shift and they can change. Because the enemy is constantly pursuing you. He's going to constantly throw a totem pole up in front of you and say, go worship this. My prayer for you is our flock. That God would reveal the idols in your life. And give you the peace and the grace and the mercy to be able to let go of it. Sit in the wheelchair and let them run with you. I promise you if you do that, Nobody will keep up with you. Nobody will keep up with you.